Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations in Global Health, a podcast led by three students from King's College London, sponsored by Circle U. We seek to bring awareness to the pressing global health issues of today in an accessible manner by engaging in important conversations with field experts offering insights into their fascinating work. We're so glad you could join us for today's episode, Can the Pharmaceutical Industry Be Harnessed for Social Good? Today's episode is hosted by Stuti. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We have with us Dr. Aidan Hollis. His academic background is in economics. He was a student at Cambridge, another University of Toronto, where he got his PhD. He is currently working as a professor of economics at the University of Calgary. But today, we want to talk to him about a different aspect of his professional career, his role as president of Incentives for Global Health, which is a US-based NGO working on the development of the Health Impact Fund. So I was taking a class on global health systems recently when I first read about the Health Impact Fund. So my first and most basic question to you is, could you tell us a little about what the Health Impact Fund is and what it's striving to do? Sure. So the Health Impact Fund is at the moment still a proposal, Mm -hmm. but it's a proposal for a fund which would support the development of new drugs Um, and in particular new drugs that are focused on the needs of poor people. Mm. Um, The key of the fund is that um, it would be a a way of incentivizing the private sector, uh, mostly as well as potentially uh, other organizations to develop new drugs. And it would provide them with rewards um, when new drugs came to market. There've been lots of ideas for that kind of mechanism in the past, but what's uh, different about the Health Impact Fund is that it's designed so that there's a fixed amount of reward and then companies compete for that reward. How do they compete? Well, they get a share of the fixed reward based on their share of the assessed health impact of all the companies that are, have registered drugs in the Health Impact Fund. So it's a competitive mechanism. It's really a capitalist mechanism that drives uh, private companies to develop drugs, but it's it's designed so that the incentives of those private companies are aligned with social goals. Mm -hmm. Because what we really care about in pharmaceuticals is whether the the drugs are going to improve people's health. And so basically by making the reward proportional to the benefits to health, um, companies are given the right kind of incentives. Part of the deal is that in order to get those rewards, the companies would have to give up the ability to sell their drugs for profit. So they don't make any money on selling the drugs. Essentially, you could think of this as uh, an easy way of doing this would be to say, they have to license their drugs for generic production starting on day one. So the prices have to be low, but at the same time, the companies get rewarded. Mm. Um, what, just to give us an estimate of what the difference would be if they sold the drug with the profit, how much more expensive could it be if they sell with the profit as opposed to like, is the cost 100%, 200% more? Um, 
so the the idea is that the pricing would look more generic. So what what are the differences? Well, um, it really depends on the the product. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we've seen, um, for example, in in some extreme cases, um, generic prices are, are roughly kind of um, in the range of point uh, one percent of of the brand patented drug price. Mm. So one thousandth as much um you know and typically in high income countries we see generic prices that are around kind of 10 percent of the um yeah. brand price so we're looking for quite a big saving for the ordinary consumer but at the same time extra costs for the governments that have to fund these rewards because you're not imposing the costs on consumers yeah and I'm, and I'm thinking especially to do with like how health systems of a country can um, change the dynamics of this, because if you're in a country with a very large publicly funded health system, it would make sense to invest in this so that essential medicine is available at a nominal cost, because if you are providing that care and you have to buy the medicine as a government at at like it's at like it's ordinary cost and just the expense on you would be so much higher so there's an economic argument as well right the the current system is designed so that if, if you don't have insurance of course then you're really facing a big problem with with drug prices and what happens is the uh you know the patients will just end up not purchasing drugs because they can't they can't afford them mm. um but also, even um, for the case of, of insurers, even if you have a state insurer, the current design of the system is that um, the insurer wants to avoid paying for the drug. Mm. Um, you, you know, so for drugs like um, Sovaldi, which came to market a few years ago uh, as a, a great and extremely effective new therapy for um, hepatitis C virus. Um, and maybe a little bit of background here, uh, hepatitis C virus um, basically gradually um, reduces the ability of the, the liver to function and um, also tends to lead to uh, or increase the probability that people get liver cancer. Mm. Um, so when Savaldi came to market, it was priced um, at around 84 thousand dollars per course of therapy um, and essentially it was curative um, but you had to you know basically pay quite a lot of money yeah. even in countries with good state insurance like canada um, the uh, strategy of the insurers was to say well this is really expensive if if we give it to everybody who needs it um, it's going to be a real problem for us. So what yeah. we need to do is we'll just give it to the people who really need it the most. Mm. And then um, as other people's disease progresses, we'll give it to them. Yeah. And of course, this was the wrong strategy, right? We just should have given it to everybody for whom the drug was indicated, everybody who could benefit. And the, the problem was that the price kept insurers from actually offering it to everybody who needed it. Mm, I see. Mm -hmm. So the kinds of diseases you might be thinking about include tuberculosis, which is actually 
you know, kind of historically the leading killer in the world uh, year after year. It just has an enormous impact on, on people's health. Um, and we've seen that there's uh, also, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people with tuberculosis have also been affected by HIV and more recently by COVID. Um, and and they, they've been particularly vulnerable. Um, so there's been very little work done on tuberculosis. We have um, a, a couple of new drugs that arrived in the, in the past few years, um, but the, those are the only new drugs kind of in the last 50 years. Um, and despite the fact that it's an incredibly important disease in a global sense, in terms of the, the total burden of disease that it, it um, causes, but that burden of disease is mostly in lower income countries. And so it just has not been attractive for pharmaceutical companies to invest money into um, new treatments. Yeah. Malaria also is, although it does get a reasonable amount of investment, I mean, it's very small compared to the share of, of harm to health. Mm. Um, actually, just generally antibiotics mm. uh, fit into this category as well. They tend to have more of a burden of disease in lower income countries. And uh, that makes them really less attractive to uh, pharmaceutical companies. So we've seen relatively little investment. And there's a real effort now to try to, to fix this, um, but it's, it's been challenging. Um, yeah. You know, if you thought about other, like, there are lots of other sort of diseases that people haven't heard of very mm -hmm. much, like leishmaniasis. And, but, you know, the existing treatments are really very poor, um, have, you know, if you just kind of look them up, they basically have uh, sort of you know, high levels of toxicity. So you have to really be careful in giving them to the patient or they have to be um, given via uh, in, uh, intravenously, mm. uh, which is just hard to do. And uh, there, there are a lot of uh, challenges with, with many of the existing drugs for um, diseases that mainly affect poor people. I see. Because I wanted to ask you why the focus of the Health Impact Fund was on innovation as opposed to just supply? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question why, why there shouldn't just be more focus on just making sure that we have cheap drugs for poor people. And for sure, that's really important. Um, the, the thing is that uh, generally innovation is, is quite Im important. And um, basically to say uh, our strategy should be that poor people in the world just get our leftovers <laughs> from mm -hmm. the rich world. That's actually, I, I think, not a great strategy. Um, you know, people with less money happen to be just as valuable yeah. as people with lots of money. Yeah, 100% echo that. Um, okay, the next thing I wanted to ask you is you had mentioned that they get um, there's a reward pool that is generated and then based on the health gain offered by the drug that was registered, um, the rewards are given out based on the health gain offered by the drug. Right. So what I wanted to know was how is that health gain measured that the drug offers? That's a great question. So 
the strategy is to do the same thing that is actually being done in other countries with state insurance. And I would point to the UK as a leader in this. So the UK, um, actually, I guess England and Wales and, and separately Scotland mm. have in uh, um, their health system, they actually do assessment of um, the health gain in terms of quality adjusted life years. Yeah. Um, and they use that uh, to determine how much they'd be willing to pay for a new drug. So those quality adjusted life years are admittedly imperfect. Mm. Um, you can't capture every possible benefit, but it turns out that every other possible measure is also imperfect. Yeah. So um, that's what we're looking for. And so basically the strategy is to use clinical trials that are conducted before a drug is improved mm. um, to assess uh, what the likely health gain is uh, per person treated. In addition, you'd want to use where possible additional information about the kinds of people who are being treated and whether in fact there's an appropriate diagnostic um, tool being used to determine whether patients should get a drug in some cases. Uh. Um, so, uh, for example, you might care about whether a person receiving a drug was five years old or 80 years old, because they might yeah. have very different health gains. So in yeah. some cases, if possible, you'd want to collect that kind of information as well. I see. I, I see what you mean about the problem with qualities being because it's a genetic health outcome measure. The good thing is that you can use it to compare against different diseases because it's not specific to one. But then again, because I think qualities are estimated using the health-related quality of life domains, which are, there are five of them and they are somewhat genetic. They are mobility, self-care, usual activities, depression and anxiety, pain and discomfort. So they may not, they may, they may not gauge at specific disease-related issues, but I guess to give you an overall sense. Right. I mean, I think um, the EQ5D measure is, as you've noted, the, the one that you just described yeah. is incomplete. Um, but there are lots of other tools that are being used to kind of um, incorporate disease-specific measures and essentially okay. do the correspondence into qualities. And ad admittedly, uh, none of that is perfect. I mean, we think that the right way to do this in the context of um, the Health Impact Fund would be similar to that used by uh, NICE, the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence in the UK, which is actually to you know have a conversation with uh, the company promoting the drug, and you know to discuss how to appropriately measure the value of the drug. Um, but it should be grounded in a in something that's comparable across uh, you know different kinds of of treatments um, or, or or prophylactics, so that you can uh, have something which is reasonably consistent. It's just not perfectly so across um, yeah. across different drugs. Okay, and the clinical trials that are conducted to ascertain this, how? closely involved are the companies who are producing the drugs in 
how closely are they involved in the trial? The companies are the ones. They are, are the ones. The trials. Yeah. Okay, so that conflict of interest does exist. <laughs> we, yeah, we're we're not thinking we're going to be able to fix all of these problems. Yeah, yeah, but now just one other thing to be wary of. But yes, yeah, yes, there there are um, many things to be wary yeah. of here. It's a very complex industry, and yeah. Yeah, you know, we're we're basically aiming to be able to help sort out the incentive problems for the industry that at the moment there really isn't enough of an adequate incentive to develop drugs for um, low-income, basically people in low-income countries. Yeah. And, um, and that, that kind of runs across the whole range of, of possible sort of income levels. You can see this is pretty consistent that basically diseases that are mainly um, sort of diagnosed um, and acknowledged in high income countries just get so much more uh, research money. And that comes both from governments actually and, and industry. Yeah. Um, everyone's basically putting more money into those. So Alzheimer's, for example, you know, it's, it's an important disease and it tends to be um, acknowledged and diagnosed more in high income countries. And it just, it gets immensely more research um, money than diseases which affect uh, children in poor countries like malaria. So it's not, mm. you know, or, or if you look at uh, malaria and diabetes, mm. um, they have about uh, the same um, in sort of global burden of disease. But on average, people with diabetes um, tend to be quite a lot richer. And so there are about 10 times as many clinical trials for diabetes. Mm -hmm. It's not saying that we shouldn't be doing those clinical trials, but we, we need additional yeah. mechanisms to work yeah. on the, the diseases that are really affecting um, uh, poor people. Um, the financial rewards that they would be getting, I know it, it hasn't kick-started yet, it's still a proposal, so, I mean, there probably aren't numbers yet, but how does it compare to the revenue they would they are making? Is it is it enough for them? Is it enough for them to actually add value to their like add more to their pockets, or is it also a part of it that's going to be it'll be some sort of virtue signaling on the end, like like look, we're right. being magnanimous. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good question. So and maybe it's useful to kind of put it into context. First of all, um, yeah. so global spending on branded pharmaceuticals is something like uh, eight hundred billion dollars a year. Our goal for the Health Impact Fund, and we're, we're actually aiming for a, a pilot, a much smaller pilot first. Our goal for the Health Impact Fund, if it were running kind of optimally, is between two and five billion dollars a year. So it's not supposed to kind of like reform the whole, yeah. uh, you know, pharmaceutical industry. It's, you know, at that level, it's it's less than kind of um, half a percent kind of yeah. uh, of spending. So um, th this isn't going to be, you know, the, the thing which just transforms the industry utterly. Yeah. Um, in, um, I guess in terms of whether... Um, the design of the fund is that it's intended to be open to companies to register or not. Mm -hmm. So for products which they feel um, 
they can make more money on the health impact fund, then um, that's what it's for. So, and then that kind of makes sense because as I just observed, um, companies um, aren't currently putting money into, you know, what we could call just very broadly neglected diseases. Mm. And there I'm, I'm including diseases like tuberculosis and malaria. Um, and so if we want them to put more money into it, then we need to actually have more of a reward. So it has to be, um, it has to be more profitable than, uh, um, than the current situation. Yeah. So the goal is definitely that they would find it attractive to participate. Yeah. But it should only be attractive for certain kinds of drugs because um, they aren't going to want to put every drug into the health impact fund. Um, first of all, it's only a limited amount of money. So, yeah. um, you know, you're only going to get a share of that, uh, those limited billions instead of, um, you know, potentially making huge amounts of money. So if, for example, you know, I think Pfizer made something like $25 billion last year or something like this from their COVID vaccine. So, you know, we're not, we're not trying to attract those big global yeah. drugs, not a big blockbuster. We're really targeted at, um, you know, drugs, which are going to make um, smaller amounts of money. And, um, and that's because we want to attract the drugs, um, which are therapeutically important enough to be able to earn money because they get like real significant health benefits, but they're commercially unattractive because those therapeutic gains come mostly from serving poor people in poor countries. Yeah, I see. Okay. I wanted to ask more about how it has been implemented, if at all, but like you said, it's just a proposal at this point. So how um, has it been received by companies, um, by governments, um, what has been the reaction to it by the people who you hoped, who you, who you um, hope will participate? Sure. Yeah. And, and so we, we need um, both, right? We need companies to participate and governments to yeah. participate as funders. Um, so the quick answer is on the uh, pharmaceutical company front. Um, they're interested but they're particularly interested if there's definitely money there. Okay. Um, so, you know, they're, they're like, well, they're comfortable with it because it's basically a model in which we say, look, you don't have to, you know, we're not trying to take away your patent rights. Um, you know, if you want to register with the health impact fund, then yes, you may have to basically license it for generic production and sales in low-income countries, but that's like, you're going to get paid. Uh, yeah. and so, uh, it's not a, a model in which companies are forced to lose something. Um, so I think it's kind of, um, it's reasonably comfortable for companies, mm. um, on governments. Um, I think, uh, the main challenge that we have seen from governments is that governments are really, um, the, they're a bit uncomfortable with the model in which you say to them, look, you put money into this and mm -hmm. then um, we can't tell you exactly which drugs are going to be funded, mm -hmm. you know, cause that depends on 
essentially the market. Um, yeah. It depends on which which products get uh, entered into the system. And um, he, people in government kind of like the idea of saying, well, if I'm going to take, you know, $50 million or something, and, you know, I just want to put it into, you know, paying one of the companies in my country yeah. for a project that they have told me about and looks really cool. Yeah. And then, so basically, you know, you're funding sort of nice science. Yeah. And um, I, I understand that. And I understand why there's that, that motivation to say, well, I want to put money into something that you can describe to me up front. Yeah. And the health impact fund is a little bit more like the patent system itself, where mm -hmm. you say, well, we're just going to basically give you this opportunity to make money through having a exclusive rights to the invention that you come up with. Mm. Right. It's, it's an open system. Yeah, I see. And, uh, people in government like the idea of saying, oh, I, I don't like that openness. Yeah. Right? They, well, probably they don't want to say that. They yeah. want to say, you know, I, I want to, <clears throat> like in, uh, you know, it depends on the country. In Canada, for example, the government's decided that they're going to specially focus on maternal and child health in developing mm. countries, mm. which is fine. I mean, it's a good thing to do. But then they say, well, how does this fit into my sort of aid agenda. Mm. I see. What has been your greatest learning from working on this? And it could be in terms of the, the people you met with or you spoke to, or like something you learned about the way it was received, anything. <laughs> I have learned that it turns out to be incredibly difficult to do something that's just world changing. Yeah, um, yeah. That's uh, one thing. Yeah. Um, there's uh, a lot of great ideas out there um, in need of, of money and political support, which is kind of equally important. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in order to move anything ahead in this world, you really need um, a champion in the right space. Yeah. Um, that that's certainly uh, something that I've learned. I've also um, kind of learned about this idea um, generally. I mean, now we've also been looking at um, this in the space of um, innovations for uh, basically um, carbon reduction. There are lots of uh, technical innovations um, in carbon reduction that are patented, for example, for wind turbine or solar panel or hydrogen uh, technology patents, mm. um, which are good, but um, for which the incentives to introduce them in low and middle income countries are lacking. Um, we think that there's actually a space for a system like this, mm. um, which we've, we've uh, provisionally labeled the Green Impact Fund for Technology, uh. um, which would basically be a kind of reward fund for innovators who um, made their technologies available in low and middle income countries. And the reward, again, the reward being dependent on the um, share of the um, 
reductions in emissions achieved by the use of a given technology in low-income countries. Yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, it seems like, yeah, there's, there's, I, I, can, I can fully see that, like a similar sort of, like an alternate system working towards a different, equally important goal, um, because the bare bones of it remains something that you can apply to other things as well. Right. Yeah, it yeah. can uh, be applied in any case where there's a sort of lots of different ways of achieving a generalized goal. In the case of the Health Impact Fund, um, you need a measure for health. So that would be something like quality adjusted life years mm. or um, uh, climate uh, change. Um, you, you need a measure which would be, for example, um, tons of uh, CO2 equivalent. Yeah. And that's already being, uh, you know, so, well, actually in both cases, uh, CO2E is uh, used all the time and uh, in health uh, qualities are used. Um, wow. And it's a measure which doesn't depend on price. Hmm. Correct. Okay. I think that was the end of all the questions I had for you. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time out and speaking with us. And I'm excited to read about what happens when the Health Impact Fund is being is begun, is begun to have been implemented. Um, as opposed so am to, I. <laughs> yeah, from it just being a proposal to more. Um, I had actually watched, I think you had given the TED Talk. Um, I think uh, probably. Uh, or no, it was somebody. Tom, Thomas, Thomas. Bob. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, like, that's something we had to watch for a class. And that's what stuck with me. It's almost like a um, mini challenge to the way the pharmaceutical industry works, because like you, like you say, you're not trying to change the way it works. That would be a mammoth task, um, but, and maybe even unrealistic, but you're just trying to provide another way in which it can work that is less um, profit driven and just more social good driven, which is Great. Well, unfortunately, it's equally profit driven. It's just intended to be uh, basically to fix things so that their profits happen to line up with what we want. Correct. I guess because I keep thinking of it from the patient perspective, I'm thinking since they are not bearing those high costs anymore, like the, that's how the social. Yeah. Is being. yeah. Um, but anyway, thank you so much. <laughs> it was lovely speaking with you. Great speaking with you. A real pleasure. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Conversations in Global Health. We hope it gave you an insight into the world of global health and that it inspired you to become inquisitive about these concepts and issues like it did for us. Be sure to tune into the next episode, What's the Deal with Vaccine Inequity, COVID-19 and Beyond. Until next time, take care and stay well.